the lobster knows that during a transition, during the shedding of the old shell and the growing of the new, that they're going to be vulnerable. So the lobster goes under a rock formation and just hangs out there until they're done transitioning, until they're done growing. And in the meantime, they're isolated from other lobsters. And I just imagine a lobster going into its little protective cave and putting on a sign that says, you know, back in back in two weeks. <laughs> and then the other lobsters know, okay, he's he's going through a growth period. And I feel like humans don't really give themselves that permission to be uncomfortable in isolation. I think we feel like we have to explain ourselves or defend ourselves or that it's our fault that we need to do something about it or maybe that we even need to get out more and you know try to join the rest of the people in society you know something's wrong with us what's going on with me that's the writer and artist Mari Andrew and this is a social life. A social life. A social life with friends. With friends. With friends. With friends. A social life with friends. I'm Madeline Dorr, and this podcast explores how we can better navigate the joy and the heartbreak of being a person in the world with other people. In this episode, I'm asking how can we understand and even honour the ebbs and flows that we experience in our energy for other people? Reflecting on my own social life, I can see there have been times that I've been incredibly open and then times when I've been more closed. There was a year that I met a new person every week. There was a season of going on dozens of blind dates. There have been the times where I've moved to new cities and actively pursued new connections or periods where I just wanted to be out in the world with all of the people. But then there are times where my social battery runs low. It could be that I identify as being an introvert and need that solitude to recharge, but there have also been more difficult times where things like scheduling feels like a drain. I want to opt out, I want to process things alone, I want to retreat, I want to be a lobster. I think we could all take a cue from the lobster and protect ourselves, be present to ourselves, rest, rejuvenate, just wait until we've discovered the new shape that our life is going to take. I love this analogy from Mari. It makes sense that sometimes we need to retreat under a rock, especially during times of vulnerability, change, and not knowing. But as Mari points out, collectively, we don't tend to have much of an understanding or perhaps even respect for these quiet periods of transition. Needing to lobster can not only feel confusing for ourselves, but also for those around us. I think... When we're socializing, we like to either see someone in the depths of what they're going through, in the depths of feeling, or on the other side. But it's hard for us to relate to people when they're kind of going back and forth, when they're in a transition period, when they might just seem really irritable or they might just feel annoyed all the time. Um, Which is how we know, actually, that we're going through a transition All of the times of my life where I've gone through a transition where I was really growing, it was almost this feeling of constriction and stress that my life was just a little too tight. I wasn't fitting right in my own life. 
And sometimes we can envision these times of transition being really beautiful, you know, this growth into a new era of ourselves. But a lot of times they suck. A lot of times they come with restlessness and insomnia and being kind of low level irritated all the time, maybe wanting to numb out and just stay at home and binge TV or whatever. What I take comfort in is that there are constant reminders of this ebb and flow everywhere. This continual rhythm of retreating and re-emerging, this opening and this closing, is reflected over and over in the natural world. Perhaps there's no better example than the seasons themselves. In her best-selling book, Wintering, writer Catherine May speaks to the power of rest and retreat in difficult times. So wintering is a word that I've borrowed from the natural sciences um, to describe the times in life when we just feel frozen or out in the cold, those kind of very icy metaphors that we draw on when, when life has just collapsed under our feet and we can't get back up again. As Catherine explores, when we begin to inspect this very human experience, we come to see that we live through a thousand different winters in our lives, some big, some small. So it could be anything from a mental or physical illness, a big life event like a divorce, retirement, losing your job. But also, you know, world events can impact us too. I think we're learning that so clearly after the last few years. Um, You know, these big global conflicts that have real implications for our personal life and our personal relationships pandemics, if we're still allowed to even mention that word. Um, And, you know, also sometimes winterings just come upon us for reasons we do not understand. And I think it seems to me that that's often change visiting us and we we don't know how to accept it. We don't know how to to roll with it. They just they just come anyway. I was curious to hear how the various winters we might experience can impact our social lives. When we think about it, Winter is a time quite often when we prefer to stay indoors. You know, we we don't want to brave the weather. It all seems very, very difficult, you know, and the evenings get shorter. It gets a lot harder to go out in the dark. And, and you know, we've all experienced that sense that the outside feels quite menacing, and like inhospitable. And I I think our metaphorical winters, our emotional winters are often times of intense isolation. Some of that is really needed and intended. Sometimes we're drawing back from social patterns that we've got into that that we've sort of realised are, are not serving us, are not looking after us, are making us feel uncomfortable or that, you know, that maybe we've overrun our values in them with certain friendship groups. That can happen sometimes. But also there's a sense that the world often doesn't want to see us during our winters and that there's this big reckoning with what friends will stick with you during the moment of your suffering and who's really only there for the good times. And it can feel like this terrible, violent sorting and sifting really that that is not something that we invited. Uh, Although I would probably argue that in the long term, it's maybe good to find out who's going to stick around um, and, and that that sifting is probably quite healthy. Uh, but it, it can, that the friendship aspect of a wintering can feel incredibly painful, I think. It's not personal, but we might find that some people are better suited to support us during certain winters and others less so. So how do we communicate to someone, I love you, 
but I can't have you in my winter. Yeah, that drawing back is really common, actually. And that sense that certain friendships are for certain moments in our life and they can quickly become incredibly painful when you know we're super sensitive to something for a while we're we're sort of hypersensitized to certain issues on the other hand i do worry a little that the way that our society is structured now gives us this message that we can pick and choose the kinds of people who only function for us and we don't think about how we function for them um and that therefore there's this sense that there are moments that we don't want to hear from a person that has something that we don't have for example and that given that you know there's no structures that bring us together in a in a natural way during those times you know we're not all attending you know not, the whole village isn't attending the same church anymore for example and so we don't get that more general loose mixing of people that was perhaps once much easier to to bring about it worries me that we put up barriers between groups of people who could actually come to terms in a very gentle way rather than feeling like they're diametrically opposed and i you know i see quite often on social media now like lists of things that we shouldn't say to people going through a certain crisis like whatever it is and i get that i fully fully get that however we don't ever get the chance to repair our language together and to repair our attitudes and to to hear each other you know really gently and and authentically about what we need in those times so yes that aversion to certain people is completely understandable and i think part of a wintering is often cutting down your social calendar to the bare minimum for example and not attending you know a hundred things and getting completely exhausted and overwhelmed and and not being able to cope anymore but i do think that we shouldn't we should try to not avoid people altogether and we should try not to avoid the general world that is is carrying on around us you know um because actually otherwise that that isolation can become permanent you know and unless someone's behaving really toxically of course which is very different there is a sense that we need to kind of be with that pain a little bit and to understand why we're feeling that way to to come into contact with it in a controlled way so that we can begin to reflect on our own reactions to things and and to to actually understand our our pain because i think quite often we don't understand the true source of of what we're feeling and that's part of the mission that that we're on when we're wintering well such periods where we retreat from the world can be important for rest and rebuilding ourselves as catherine touched on earlier there's another side to such retreat the feeling that the world doesn't want to see us it can be really difficult to communicate what we're going through or what we might need be it some distance or maybe even help yeah and I do think that actually the the burden should fall on the people who are who are kind of okay at the moment to begin to understand that from the outside. You know, it's it's really hard to have those conversations. It's really hard to um to really articulate the very simple need which is I just can't do this at the moment. <laughs> like like for some reason that's very socially unacceptable, but it should become socially acceptable. And 
you know, this is this is part of my my mission in the world, I think, is that if we could all understand these states, then we can begin to sympathize them when we recognize them, you know, sympathize with them when we recognize them from the outside. So I think, um, you know, sometimes we need to hide behind excuses and that's okay. Like we need to say, I'm really sorry, I've got a terrible cold this week and I can't come. Like that will suffice for people you don't know very well and you don't need to trust with your intimate emotional state. Like you don't have to share it with everybody. You, you know, you should only share it with people that you trust to handle it carefully. Um, but I think for other friends, it is okay to say, I'm taking it steady at the moment. I can't do too much. I really care that it's your birthday and I'm going to send you a card and maybe we can have a cup of tea next week instead in a quieter environment, which, I, you know, is just as much as I can handle at the moment. Or you might say, maybe, you know, let's revisit this next month. I am really struggling at the moment. I really, you know, I care about you, but this is just not something I can handle right now. It's a test, though, isn't it? Because we don't always know how that's going to be received and we can't rely unfortunately, on that always being received well. And I, for that reason, I've often found that my periods of wintering have sorted the men from the boys, I guess, <laughs> to draw on an old phrase, you know, to that, that it lands very badly on people who cannot step outside of themselves for a moment and, and realise that there are other feelings at, at play too. Catherine speaks to a painful but often hidden side to these difficult periods in our lives. In my own experience, friendships have been a casualty of my own need to retreat, resulting in feelings of grief, regret and even shame. Quite often when a friendship dies, whether it's through conflict or just gradually fades out, we feel like we have to pretend that it doesn't really matter, that it's okay, that it's it, it's not important to us and kind of power through. There's, there's not much space made for the grief that comes with the end of a friendship. And I think that's a very particular form of grief, actually, because not only have we lost someone that felt really important in our lives, but also we have to deal with the notion that that loss is on some level related to us, related to our personality, related to our approach to the friendship, you know, related to, to something that we don't really fancy being scrutinized you know at any point in our lives let alone during a wintering um and so I would just urge people to acknowledge the grief and to understand that it is actually a very normal thing to happen a very common thing to happen and, and we will all lose friendships across the course of our lives but also that it's okay to to feel bad about it you know it's okay to feel that loss and to work with it and if there are patterns there that we're noticing of lost friendships then maybe we need to spend some time looking at, at that you know in a, in a sort of safe environment examining where those patterns are coming from and, and why they feel so difficult for us. Hearing that such loss and grief is a part of the human experience can help lift some of the shame or isolation that can be felt which is why I think it's so important to share, when we're ready, what we learn during our winters. Catherine agrees. When we finish a wintering, when we emerge into the spring, um, you know, not probably not skipping out into the sunshine, but maybe 
coming out blinking into the light. We've got some wisdom that we can share and that we can pass on to the next winterers that we come across. And we have in that time, in that time away, we've deepened and enriched our sense of empathy and our understanding of how life works, of how the world works. And I think if if we can, you know, come into contact with each other, mutually support each other, but we can also offer genuine wisdom, genuine knowledge, genuine experience. Um, and, you know, obviously we all have to learn to do that in a way that is supportive rather than aggressive. Uh, we've all met the aggressive advice giver in our lives and we'll probably rather not meet them again. Uh, but but that said, I really think that, you know, there's a lot to to be said for just listening to each other and and therefore seeing the commonality and not feeling so alone. Part of the beauty of sharing is that it can be a bridge to acceptance. After a period of wintering, we don't always burst into a blossoming spring. We aren't necessarily improved, but rather changed. And that can be a difficult thing to face. I mean, a lot of the changes that are coming to us when we winter are not positive changes. You know, this isn't a feel-good story for everybody. This isn't a sense that, like, if only you go with this process then great things will come to you and you'll be back on top of the world. Like quite often we're wintering because negative change or decline has has come to us. And that is another one of those universal experiences that will come to all of us at some point in our lives. We cannot positive thinking ourselves out of aging. You know, <laughs> we cannot, there's not enough positive thinking in the world to defeat death yet. Um, although I do think Facebook is trying. Um, and so actually, you know, this is this is going to be a process for some people of acceptance of a change state and of a state that might feel diminished. But we can find a good life within it always and we can find a way forward. Um, but that comes from from knowledge and acceptance rather than pushing on through. It's, it's just not always possible. So how do we know when we're ready to reemerge and find a way forward? Winters can take a really, really long time. And I do think that what we can do is begin to look for the signs and to work with them. But it doesn't serve to ever rush these things or hurry them along. We can't sort of jerk ourselves out of a wintering. It's not like bump starting a car, you know, you can't like point it down the right hill and, <laughs> like, you know, get it, get it running. Um, I think all of us have tried that at one time or another and it, it's not terribly successful. Um, so yes, we, we do need to be looking for that thaw, that moment when things are changing. And I, I, I honestly think that we do that better when we're engaged in our wintering rather than trying to push it away. Like, I think we prolong our winterings, not by, uh, you know, acknowledging them and going with them, but instead by not truly, no, you know, trying to notice them, trying to notice what they're telling us. Um, the change will come if we let it, but holding back that change keeps us in that state for much, much longer than it does if we if we lean in to to use a much overused phrase. <laughs> I appreciate what Catherine said about how change will come if we let it. When it does we might then wonder how to best approach the new season that we're in. This brings us to another question. 
As we re-emerge, how do we best connect with people again? After a closed period, we might feel as if we're beginning anew in our social lives. In a future episode of this podcast, I'll be exploring how we can make new connections in lots of different scenarios. So if you haven't already, that's just a little nudge to make sure you subscribe to this podcast wherever you like to listen. To delve into this idea of opening our lives, I spoke to the writer Jessica Pan, who is best known for being an introvert, who lived as an extrovert for one year and documented the whole process in her wonderful book, Sorry I'm Late, I Didn't Want to Come. The impetus for the year-long experiment came when Jessica moved to London and wanted to open herself to new connections and friendships. I would say it's difficult to move to a new city, let alone a new country, in your 30s because you're not instantly surrounded like you're not at university. Um, I was a freelancer, so I wasn't in an office with a bunch of other people my age. And it can feel really lonely and isolating. Um my friends are too far away or they're too busy or I simply don't have them. And that's kind of how the book came about. I wanted to explore every way possible, right? I was going to talk to strangers. I was going to go on friend dates. I was going to do improv comedy. I was going to do all of these insane things. I was going to host a dinner party, which I would never, ever do um, in, in normal life. And I felt so out of my depth that I had to recruit what I called extrovert mentors which were people in each chapter who would guide me and tell me how to do these things. Because, like, I Before we delve into what she learned from the experiment, the living time. as an extrovert, so I asked Jessica how she defines being an introvert. There are many varying traits that shift and morph between people. But as a fellow introvert, we both use the same frame. That is, an introvert tends to be someone who derives their energy from spending time alone to recharge in their own solitude. Introverts are often described as being in their shell or shy, but that's not necessarily the case. Not all introverts are shy, but introverts are more likely to be shy than extroverts. And so I was definitely a shy introvert. I mean, maybe in high school, I was maybe slightly more less shy because I had friends and I knew everybody, but I think it was about moving to a new city, being an outsider. I instantly came back into my shell. What I found interesting speaking to Jess is that the open periods of our lives often require us to be open about ourselves, and therefore we need to be courageous. I would say the biggest thing I learned about how to make friends is that it's important to be vulnerable. You can know someone for 10 years and only talk about the weather, the traffic, celebrities, and not know anything about them. Whereas if you share something vulnerable, like you're not feeling that great about your work, you're insecure about the person you're dating, something truly vulnerable, then they usually in turn will share something back. And I think there are two lessons in that, which is one, be vulnerable and go into deep talk. Don't stick to shallow talk. The second lesson is one I learned from the psychologist Nicholas Epley, who was one of my extrovert mentors for my year of extroverting. And he is the one who told me, look, nobody waves, but everybody waves back. So yeah, maybe I'm walking down the street in London and everybody looks kind of mean and in their own world, but am I smiling? No, I look exactly like them. But if I started smiling and waving, then of course people would start to smile and wave back. But you have to be brave. You have to be that person to break the ice. Those were the two big things that affected me and have helped me make real friends. I wanted to ask Jess how she felt after the experiment and accumulating all of these amazing lessons. I feel like I came out of that 
feeling so surprised at how easy it can be to make friends if you just do those few tweaks, like being vulnerable, being open, make the first move, you know, ask someone that you like for coffee and then ask them again after you do it, like be that person, because I think people are so busy and they don't know that you want to see them again. And if they say no, then they say no. And now you don't have to worry about it ever again. It's a muscle. And I'd say that's true of whether we are opening or closing. Sometimes we actually need to practice being in our own solitude. Sometimes we need to practice being the one who connects. I think allowing ourselves to both fumble and experiment as we retreat and re-emerge also gives us some empathy for others as they do the same. Just as we're always shifting and changing, ebbing and flowing, so are the people around us. Perhaps knowing this, we can honour the seasons of being closed and embrace those of being more open. Thanks for listening to A Social Life with Friends. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast wherever you like to listen so you don't miss any future episodes. If you'd like to help me continue to create this podcast, you can head to asociallifewithfriends.com to become a paid supporter and receive episode summaries and extra links. For this episode, you'll find a bonus guide on how to help someone practically in their winter or when they're lobstering. If you enjoyed this episode, it would also be wonderful if you could leave a positive review and perhaps it's the perfect thing to share with a friend and bring some connection into your day. Whether we're in a period of opening or closing, I think the important message here is that it's always a transition. We might be in a winter, but spring is coming. And so I'd like to leave you with the words from the singer Bjork as a reminder that change can come. We go through changes roughly every three years, sometimes seven, where our colour palette changes and how we feel changes, the aroma or the textures, the lightness or the darkness around us shifts. Thank you.